And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Al Baker. He's an evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. Pastor Al, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be with you as well. I'm signed up to receive your devotional, and it's very good. I would encourage our listeners to do the same. It's called Forget None of His Benefits. And there was a recent one you wrote that came out that had the title, A Contrast of Two Ways of Life, Short-Term Disobedience Versus Long-Term Blessing and Peace. And um, maybe we could dive into that a little bit today, uh, Pastor Al. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that uh, we have some listeners that uh, perhaps are a little bit confused or discouraged. Uh, We just came through an election, and uh, we saw a lot of of stuff going on, put it that way. (laughs) So let's begin and talk about the... Um, almost, it's like an antithesis, isn't it, between two ways of mm-hmm. life? And it sounds sounds similar to some of the themes in the Psalms, also. So maybe you can get us started yes. here. Yes. Um, well, we we do have. There is a lot of discouragement going on now for people who, you know, are really concerned about, um, you know, the issues from a Christian perspective. Um, from the Christian worldview, you know, there's always two worldviews that are that are clashing with each other, and you've got one that's more of the humanistic or even socialist worldview, which pretty much jettisons uh, Christianity. It believes in a um, the ultimate utopia. It believes that that uh, all things are moving toward in a progressive way to a better world. Uh, and so you've got social engineering, political engineering, educational engineering. All of these things are going on with the idea that we can make this world a better place. And that's a, a, that's a denial of, of, of biblical Christianity, which says that, no, God is sovereign in all the affairs of men. God gives gifts as he will. He gives some people uh, greater athletic ability, uh, greater intellectual ability, uh, you know, ability to make money in an honest way, and whatever the case might be. But it, but Christianity also believes in the fallenness of man, and that man is utterly corrupt, and that there will be no progress in this world unless and until people are born again. When they have the heart of Jesus, when they have the mind of Christ, then they can begin to make progress in their personal lives and clean up their personal lives, work hard, save their money, and so forth. And then over a period of time, that can begin to impact the whole culture. But um, what we see going on today um, in the progressive movement is, um, is, is just hell-bent, and I mean that almost literally, hell-bent on destruction and it's all about power and uh, what we've seen it, it seems to me now you know maybe maybe I'm wrong but it seems to me there's been uh, massive cheating and fraud in this election uh, to me it's undeniable and um, uh, that's it's it looks like they're getting away with it 
And that's very discouraging to a lot of people. Uh, so I think we should address that the best we can, and I, maybe I can do that here. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, you feel kind of helpless uh, many times as we watch things move in government, and um, we want things to be affected from a grounds up, you know, the small guy making a, a vote, <laughs> making a decision, right. and uh, right. selecting the best candidate and that sort of thing, and if that is prevented from happening, then I would even argue that we've lost our constitutional republic. Yeah, I think that um, what what's happened here is uh, all our systems are failing. Um, the legislative branch, at least, uh, uh, across, I mean, you know, uh, nationally, uh, statewide, and locally, in many many places, is failing. The judicial system is failing. And in many ways, the uh, the executive, well, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches all are failing. And so, what what does this mean for us? Um, well, you know, there's some people who would say that, well, now it's time to retreat. It's time to just settle in, accept the way things are, realize we're in a minority, and just kind of do the best we can. And I don't see that in the scripture. I don't see that we're ever to retreat. I think we're always to move forward. And what I would say to your, your listeners is, I understand why there's the temptation to be discouraged right now. But what we have to do is, we, we've, first of all, we've got to live godly lives personally and in our families, rear our children, our grandchildren, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We must evangelize. We must and pray for God to bring people to himself, and we must disciple these people and cause them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And then that's that's on the spiritual sphere, if you will. Then on the more local or political uh, sphere, we need, to, we need to labor to get good men and women in political office. And uh, again, I might be, I might be treading on thin ice here, so I don't know how, you know, all your listeners feel about this, but I'll go ahead and say that I voted for Donald Trump both times, and I was leery in doing so because of his tweets and because of his delivery a lot of times in his message and uh, his past and so forth. But I really believe that he did a phenomenal job as president, uh, support you know, bringing in three constitutionalist uh, judges and uh, getting us out of war and building up the economy. I mean, I've just been frankly amazed. Yeah. And what he's been able to do. And, and I would say this, I would say that now that it's pretty clear uh, he's going out of office, uh, I don't I think the I think the court systems, I think all that could be done is pretty much exhausted. I know they're still working at it, but it doesn't look like it's going to amount to anything. Right. I would I would I would think that he could probably do uh, an awful lot to maintain where we where we have been going in, in more of the conservative movement. So I'm actually encouraged by that. I, I'm encouraged sure. by what I think can happen down the road. Sure. I appreciate that as well. And uh, I don't think we've seen the end of Donald Trump, that's for sure. No. Um, I also no. think that um, early on he had a lot of sin in his life that was evident to people. And um, mm-hmm. uh, we don't we don't appreciate that. But I also see that God caused him to have many Christians placed around him. 
um, caused uh, prayer and Bible study to be happening uh, in his circles, and um, the policies that he chose to implement were very godly, by and large. And um, so I think that speaks well. Um, I'm reminded of something. I'll bet it's in the back of your mind, too. Uh, Today we're talking with Pastor Al Baker. Years ago, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, um, I think we can look at that from a general equity point of view, and it talks about God's blessings on his people, uh, that, that if we obey, diligently obey the voice of the Lord, observe his commandments, um, of course, this is uh, in the context, in my mind, of the, of the grace of Christ now, but, you know, if we, um, if we obey God, then uh, he says, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country. Uh, blessed yep. shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, a basket, your kneading bowl. And it goes on and on. Uh, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. And it just goes on and on. And um, not that we lift that um, per se out and directly apply it, although I think by and large it does apply. But like I say, the general equity of this uh, certainly applies, that if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we obey his word, we can expect, by God's grace, his blessings on our lives, and even on the nation in which we live, if the nation is choosing that as well. That's absolutely right. I, I do believe that, and I, I use that passage many, many times in speaking to people in churches, but also individuals. I, many times I've spoken with young people on college campuses, and and uh, I'll say, listen, um, if you and I'll, particularly if they tell me they're believers, I'll say, listen, let me give you some advice. Obey God. <laughs> Just obey what he says, and it will it will generally turn out well for you. Right. I said, on the other hand, if you choose not to obey him, it's not going to turn out well. It just won't work for you. It won't work for anybody. And then I go on to tell them, you know, there's 15 verses there, Deuteronomy 28, that talk about the blessings, as you just enumerated them, if you obey. But then it goes on for like 60 or 70 verses and talking about the curses that will come if yes. they don't. Yes, for sure. And so I think that's yeah. So I think that we we have to realize that. So I would I would say to all of us that we need to uh, every day get up and say, Lord Jesus, help me by the Holy Spirit to obey you. I want to honor you in my life, and I, I do believe too that we tend to we tend to read the scriptures in the Western mindset of acquiring more and more knowledge, and knowledge is important. I'm in no way demeaning that. But what God wants us to do is to obey. You remember Jesus gives in his great commission, says, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Not merely teaching, but teaching them to observe or to obey what he says. Mm. And so I think I think we all have to read the word every day. Said, okay, now God, what is it from this passage I'm reading today that you're commanding me to do? Because remember, Jesus is is the king of the kingdom. And a, a king expects and demands obedience from his people. So he's not just our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our king. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Mm. And he expects us to obey him. And when we do, he, he again, in Deuteronomy 28, the, the Hebrew verb tense there gives you the idea that this is a, 
this is a very strong term. It's it's like when uh, James Earl Ray had escaped from the prison in eastern Tennessee after killing Martin Luther King. Uh, they had all kind of uh, helicopters looking after him, but but that, that's not how they found him. They found him with two hound dogs, two hound dogs, <laughs> the old school way. They went up into the mountains of east Tennessee, and they found him that way. And the point is, when the hound dogs are on you, they're going to get you. That's what, right. What, Jesus, what, what the scriptures are saying there is if you'll obey him, then he'll track you down like a hound dog and bestow blessing after blessing Amen. after blessing on you. Amen. And, Amen. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing if we'll just, uh, you know, by his grace, seek to obey. I think perhaps this is the view of some of our founders, the the ones who, uh, and the Puritans especially, um, they, they, I think they had this view where the Lord, they were looking to the Lord to establish them as a holy people to himself, uh, as they would try to keep the commandments of the Lord and um, that sort of thing. Now, we are talking about um, this article you wrote, A Contrast of Two Ways of Life, and I thought it was very interesting that you pointed out that um, the wars that we did get involved in um, were really pushed by progressive uh, politicians, uh, whether it be World War One, World War Two, um, Harry Truman and the Korean War, the traditionalists, John F. Kennedy moved us into the Vietnam War. Later on, you right. mentioned the Gulf War, um, and we got into those um, by Republicans, but they were globalists, George W. Bush right. and his father, George H. Bush. So um, tell us a little bit of what, what's on your mind here as you contrast two ways of life for the Christian and the Christian living in this world. Well, yeah, it goes back again to the, the idea that progressives have, and that's uh, toward utopia. And um, so, you know, what this, this goes all the way back to Plato in the Republic, and he believed in philosopher kings. And the philosopher kings were people who'd been educated for 50 years. They, uh, in the Greek mindset, they were very well educated, and therefore, because they were very well educated, they were the, the intellectual elites. And because of their position and because of their intellectualism, then they were going to teach everybody else how to live. And uh, because of, from their perspective, everybody else was stupid, uninformed, illiterate, or whatever. And that's what you see today with the progressive movement. They, they really believe they're smarter than we are. And uh, therefore, they know what's best, and therefore, they should be the ones to call all the shots. And so, that's that's what you see, and it's all about power. Yes. And um, and the Christian the Christian understands no, uh, every person's important before God. Every person has gifts and abilities. Every person's word is important. And um, uh, so, I think that's where we have to move and, and continue to to um, stress that. But again, people's hearts have to change because, uh, you know, they're certainly not getting it. Our kids are not getting it in the, in the public schools. They're, they're getting the progressive movement there, uh, and, and most are buying into it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. So we've got our work cut out for us. Um, but that's what we've got to do. And, yeah, every, every major war of the 20th century was started by a Democrat. And, uh, and again, as you, as you mentioned, 
the Bushes were globalists and they were Republicans, but they were globalists. And sure. it's, uh, you know, you know, war, war is, war is good for the military industrial complex, you know, Raytheon <laughs> yeah. and companies like that. They love war. It's true. Uh, it's you know, so I think, good for the young, I yeah. think people need to remember that, that, um, some of these yeah. big tech companies and the global com- companies like Raytheon, um, yeah, they got great inventions, but um, the, these are these are companies that are benefiting from war. And and on the ground, we're sending our beloved boys over there, and some of them come back in caskets. Some of them come back without arms and legs or blind and maimed. And we have to ask ourselves. Um, what constitutes uh, a uh, a just war as opposed to something that will um, that's just we want to do because of our power? Yeah, and uh, again, this progressive movement. See, what they're doing is they believe they're the savior of the world, and Woodrow Wilson believed in Christianizing the world, but if, but he didn't mean by that what you and I mean by that, which is the Great Commission. He meant you know, uh, a reformation of manners and bringing uh, yeah. Christian morality to a country. But that's never going to work uh, no. in today's culture. It's not going to work at all. Now, so, um, you, you're on to something here. Um, I'd like to pursue it a little bit, and that is the idea of a bottoms-up conversion of the heart that affects all of life, including the political, and not not limited to that, but... It's consistent with the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything, not only the church, but the commonwealth as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I could give you many examples of people I've known who, uh, prior to their conversion, were very progressive. And one of my favorite stories is a friend of mine who was a public school teacher years ago and was converted about 1978 or so, and and he was very liberal, very progressive, and he told me that when he went into the voting booth in 1980, he decided he was going to vote for the conservative Ronald Reagan, and his hands were shaking as he, <laughs> as he pulled the lever. He said, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. But, you know, his worldview changed. Within a year or two, you know, sure. when he was converted, he he had a very wrong worldview. But as he read the Bible and as, as the Word of God began to do its work in his life, and he had the mind of Christ, he began to change. And uh, and again, I'm not saying that that every progressive is 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 an unbeliever. That's between them and God. Nor am I saying every you know conservative is a Christian. I don't believe that either. No. Um, but 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 you know the 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 biblical worldview uh, the, the the conservative worldview uh, is more in tune with the biblical worldview is what I I guess what right, I would say right it it seems to kind of flow from it by and large um, mm-hmm. you also mention uh, our connectivity and on the surface that seems to be a wonderful blessing and it is you know we can have a zoom with. Mm-hmm. With our, um, mm-hmm. uh, with my, uh, my wife's mom and dad, who are in a nursing uh, facility, let's say, and and locked down mm-hmm. because of COVID, we can actually talk with them and see them. But another thing that mm-hmm. happens is that um, we we kind of. 
become godlike <laughs> in in yeah, our knowability, yeah. um, the way you put it in in your article by yeah. the search engines like yeah. Google, which by the way their their algorithms are very biased to progressivism. So you got to watch that, don't you? That's exactly right. Yeah, we're in a we're in a we're in a brave new world now with this connect connectivity and mobility. That Osgena speaks of that. And as you mentioned, this connectivity is, um, you know, like like you say, I can I don't even I don't even need my library anymore. Frankly, all my books in my library, I could Google whatever I want. Mm-hmm. You know, from from those books, or I could get on a website and read all the great sermons from Spurgeon or Jonathan Edwards. I don't have to have a big book in my hand anymore, although I prefer that still. <laughs> but so 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 you know, there's a lot of good things about it, but. Um, you know, my youngest son is a is a high school teacher, history teacher, and basketball coach, and he said that these kids today, it's almost like they're on their phones all the time. And yes, he said uh, he said I actually talked to my students, and and some of the other um, uh, administrators are amazed. He said, you know, you're one of the few teachers that actually talks to your kids, yes. talks to your students. Yes, and that's important, to, you know, because the these uh, iPhones and so forth. I mean, I I like mine too, but they're really impersonal, um, and um, and so so a lot is lacking in that regard. And so this, uh, and then also the uh, the mobility. On the one hand, it's great; I can be anywhere in the world within twenty four hours. So, you know, of course, now COVID shuts has shut things down, but we can be anywhere in the world in twenty four hours, and. Um, so that's good, um, and but still, um, it, it means that there's a lot of times just a, a lack of, of commitment to the to those around you. It's amazing yes. to me how we we've got we're you know we've got you know three thousand friends on Facebook yet we don't know our neighbors next door. Yes, and um, also I, I remember talking some time ago now with Walter E. Williams. In fact, he just died. He was age eighty four. Yeah, a great man. Yeah, he was a conservative economist, very brilliant, and uh, he pointed out to us that he'd have kids in his class, and they would be texting, and that really upset him. He said, that is rude, and and these yeah. kids, you know, if you want to go for a lecture, at least honor the man that's giving the, the lecture, and, and don't be texting on your cell phone uh, in class, but listen, maybe you'll learn something. And so uh, he he was very funny to listen to when he talked about that his kids were texting in class and what he did to counteract that. Uh, he would actually affect their grade if he caught them doing it after the first warning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you another thing, too. I, they obviously don't know uh, uh, the, the the man they were sitting before because he's one of the great teachers, great writers oh, yeah. of, of, the, of, our, of our lifetime. I could oh. not listen to that guy, you know. Yeah, I loved him. <laughs> now, we have, yeah, uh, we have about yeah. two minutes left. Um, tell us about the importance of being born again of the Spirit of God. Uh, we've talked about uh, the ripple effect coming from a life mm-hmm. like that, but what about mm-hmm. the initial conversion, and how important is that, and how can someone reach out and, and experience the Lord's work in their life today? Well, that's right, Dan. That's that's the ultimate. Um, people are born with a corrupt heart. I didn't say we're as bad as we could be, but we're born with a, with a bent, a, a direction away from God. 
And it affects our mind, it affects our will, it affects our body, it affects our soul. And we're soul sick until mm. we find our rest in Jesus. And so what's got to happen is he's got to take out the heart of stone, as, as Ezekiel 36 speaks of, and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God and hates sin. And so I pray all the time for God to open the hearts of people and, and to change their hearts. And so what we have to do is pray for our loved ones. And I always urge people to make a list of your friends and family members who probably don't know Christ and, and begin to pray for them and then mm-hmm. ask the Lord to lead you to people uh, who on your list who, who you think might be open and go speak to them about their souls and and, uh, you know, you could give your testimony about what you were like and how God changed you and then how it's affected you now. And you could say, do you have a story like that? And a lot of times they don't. And you hmm. say, well, would you like for me to tell you how you can have a, a story like that? <laughs> and then you could get it. Then you can get into the gospel. I was doing that yesterday afternoon in my neighborhood, going door to door. I just had some phenomenal conversations with people. One young guy, 28 years old, who clearly is not a believer, but he's very open. And we're going to have a little Bible study with the guy. It looks like so. That's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, but you, but they've got to see that they're lost, and uh, their their heart has to change. It's a miracle of God's grace. But we urge, say, you know, you need to repent and you need to believe the gospel. And if they're able to repent and believe, that means God has changed their heart. And there so you we go. Go with the gospel to people. Amen. And um, we're uh, we're airing this on Saturday, the nineteenth, which means we're just a few days away from Christmas. And uh, we're talking today with Pastor Al Baker. Pastor Al, we wish you a very merry Christmas and God's richest blessings upon your life. Thank you, Dan. The same, same with you and your family. And, uh, you know, we live in, uh, uh, on the one hand, it's a difficult time, but on the other hand, it's a very exciting time. We need to <laughs> expect that God can do great and mighty things. As I always say, there's always hope in Jesus. We need to always look to him. Amen. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.